So we're in the one-year Bible, aren't we? How many of you know that we're in the one-year Bible? Surely now we know we're in the one-year Bible, right? And we're taking a trek right through it. The, the amazing thing is that for some of you, this year will be the first year that you've read clean through the Bible. And you'll be a changed person. And so what we do the week before this, what we've read in the past week, we pick something out of there and we preach on it. We minister to you on that. And uh, it's been very, very exciting for us as a staff to do this. And it also getting us to read our Bible too. Come on now. And so uh, today uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And really we're going to talk about God's foolish plan. And, and, and when, when I thought about that, I thought about a couple of friends of mine. So from Louisiana. Uh, a lot of you have heard about them. You've never met them, but you've heard about them. They're sort of like God. You, you, you believe in them, but you've never seen them. And uh, our friends are, you know, Boudreaux and Thibodeau. And Boudreaux and Thibodeau, uh, they grew up together. I mean, they, they both lived down the gravel road down. You turn by the brown cow. You go down to, all the way to the end of the road. There's Boudreaux and there's Thibodeau's house. And they grew up there. And so they always do things together. They like each other a lot. They work together. And so Boudreaux had a project he wanted to do. And so he called up Thibodeau. And to call up, he just holler out the kitchen window. Hey, Thibodeau. And Thibodeau come run over. He said, I got a project we want to do. We got to go down to the supply house. So they got in their car, their little truck. It was, actually, it was an old El Camino. And uh, they went down to the to the supply house, and, and Boudreaux, he was kind of tired, you know, he'd been working on it, so he, he told Thibodeau, he said, go inside, talk to Mr. Sostan, talk to Sostan, and, and give him the list of what we need. So, man, Thibodeau, good friend like he is, he hop out the El Camino, he'd go up into the building there, he'd say, hey, Mr. Sostan, what's up? Hey, Thibodeau, you know, and, uh, and so he said, so I need some materials, so he, he said, uh, well, what do you need? He said, well, we need, uh, got, got Boudreaux in the car, yeah, we, we, need a, we need some two-by-fours. He said, well, how long you want those two-by-fours? Hmm. He said, ooh, I don't know. I got to go. So he run back outside, go to the tap on the window. Boudreaux there, roll down. He got those crank-top windows. He rolled the window down. And he said, Mr. Sostan, I want to know how long we need those two-by-fours. And so he tell him, you know. And so, man, Thibodeau, full of confidence, he go back in. He stand there. Sostan said, well, Thibodeau, how long y'all going to need those two-by-fours? He said, well, I asked Boudreaux in the El Camino. He said, we're going to need them a long time. We're building a shed. <laughs> I'm just waiting for some of you to laugh. You're just, you need this. Now, if you're not a Cajun, you probably won't get this ever, maybe. But Thibodeau and Boudreaux are foolish. Matter of fact, I believe, no, I'm not going to say that because my granddaughter says don't say that word. So I'm not going to say that word, but think about it. They're just as foolish as can be. And uh, that's what we want to talk about today, God's foolish plan. And I think after that joke, we need to pray, don't you think? <laughs> Come on now. Come on, Father, we love you and we thank you that you give us a great heart. And God, you've blessed us and saved us, God. You've changed everything for all of eternity. And so we honor you. And we ask you to enlighten our hearts. And God, we're just knowing that you always move. We pray that you'll give us grace today to move with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Really just a little exposition on the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote that to a church in Corinth. And uh, 
he, he started the church and then later he wrote letters in. There were things going on in the church as they are in every church. Uh, they weren't all acting just right. And so he kind of sets some things in order. And you, as you read through First and Second Corinthians, you're going to see that that's what he does. And so here he's kind of letting the people know about God's plan. And in the 18th verse, he says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. He says, this cross story, this plan is it's really ludicrous. It's actually absurd. It's really silly. That's what that word means. It's a silly, this silly thing, this call, cross. It's silly to those who are perishing or headed for destruction. But to those who are being saved, we know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I'll discord the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this lead the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw it to it that the world, watch this, that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for a sign from heaven and it is foolish to the Greek who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. The Jews were always wanting a sign. When Jesus was there, he said, you're always wanting a sign. You see, they had a problem with Jesus, the religious people, especially after he died because they knew that the scripture said that cursed is any man that hangs on a tree. They knew Jesus hung on a tree. So how could he be the Messiah if he's cursed? And then the Jews are always seeking for knowledge and something brand new. And, and they had their own gods, you know, Zeus and Achilles and all these other gods. And they knew that their gods were, were not human at all. And so they never were attached to human feelings or emotions. They couldn't, you know, cry or be heard or feel anything. And this Jesus who was weak, it seemed, and infirmed and came and died on the cross, how could he be some Messiah or some God? And so they were all wrangling with this thing. And so Paul is going to bring a little bit clarity. And we're going to understand this, that the plan of God is hidden to people who refuse to choose the plan of God. It's really amazing that uh, it's impossible for anyone to, to reach God in their own wisdom. And we know that people try to do that. Many of you in this room may have tried to do that, like find God. You know, we don't need to find God because God is not lost. We need to be found because we were separated from him. And so, you know, God builds his church by revelation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a little bit further in this, this particular book, this is what the Bible says. I didn't put it on the screen for you, but it, it says people, aren't, uh, people who aren't spiritual, people who aren't in tune with God can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Only those who have kind of broke into another realm, and that's out of just a natural thing, and so many natural things are always bugging us. And then Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, he's talking about different things, and he just gets all excited in, in, in the spirit, and he says, uh, uh, he says, oh, Father, he's just praying out loud. He says, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. And thank you for revealing them 
to the childlike. So God reveals things. As a matter of fact, the only thing that you'll ever get from God is what he reveals. God knows a lot. How many of you know that? He knows a lot, and he, he's got a lot of secrets. And the only way you'll ever get to know anything about God, that's everyone in this room, is that he has to uncover it. That's, this is what that word means. It simply means uncovered. So unless God uncovers it, you're never going to see it. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter how diligent you are. Doesn't matter how holy or caring or anything you are. If God doesn't take the cover off, we never can see it. Aren't you glad that he does that, that he builds his church on revelation, on revealing things to people, and it changes us. So today I want to share with you some things, uh, three, th three truths about the secret plan of God, this hidden plan. And say, well, if it's hidden, how are we going to find out about it? Well, before you leave today, you're going to know the plan of God because he's going to reveal it to you. And so the first thing is that, and I love this, is that God's plan levels the playing field. I mean, it's just wonderful how, I've, I've said this, if you've been in this church for, for quite some time, you know, this is one of my things that I just love, that, that the church, uh, when it comes to the church, everybody is on a level playing field. And he says that in the 21st, 24th verse, he says, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. He's making a point here. God has no weakness in him. But what he is basically saying is that if God had a weakness, his weakness would still be stronger than the strongest man. So he doesn't have weakness, but if he did, that's the way it would be. He said, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in this world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world. Now, the world there, when he says the world, he's not talking about the globe, not the earth in the sense of the physical planet. He's talking about the systems of this world, the way we operate through our thoughts, our philosophies, and, and, our, and our, our styles and our programs and these things. He said, the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considered important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. It's so wonderful. It just levels all the playing field. I, I, I love, it's an amazing thing that in the world's eyes, I may be nothing at all, but in God's eye, I am a royal. Come on. I love that song, man. Come on. More than mortals, we are royals, man. Come on. I mean, I sing that thing with a lot of gusto. I am royal. Hallelujah. I mean, that's me. I don't know about you. But the world looks at Van Dakota. It's like, who is that guy right there? I mean, he's just a little bit of occasion from South Louisiana. What does he know about anything? I don't know but God's saying, hey, hey, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You matter. You've, you've got the goods, bro. I mean, that's what God says here. And I don't know about the world, what the world is saying, but this entire world, the whole system is a caste system. I don't know if you know that or not. 
Have you figured that out yet, that it's a caste system, that it ranks people according to money and power and according to maybe experience and according to, you know, social status or, or where you come from, your heritage, you know what I mean? You got a name that is above almost everybody's name. Sort of like on the airplane, first class. You know, we don't get, the, we've, I, we've flown first class three times in our life. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of funny because like the last flight we had just uh, not long ago, I was sitting on the airplane and like first class is like right here. It's like, if I just reached over, I tapped the guy in first class. It's like, ah, you paid $600 more for your ticket than me. <laughs> but it's so hilarious when you, when you get on the plane because most planes, now some, you turn left, you're in first class, they're really first class. And I'm not coming against first class because it is nicer. It's a nicer place to fly than coach, but or cabin like they call it now. It is a cabin full of cheeseburgers and nachos. But 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 I love it when you, you turn right and then you have to walk through first class because first class gets to board the plane on the red carpet, but we have to walk on the blue carpet. <laughs> you ever notice that? It's like sometimes I tell Jan, say, I'm going through the red carpet. I'm just going to do it. And, and, and I do this every time we come through because they're looking at, everybody's looking at everybody on an airplane. You know, you know how it's hilarious? Everybody looks at you on an airplane because they wonder, is it you going to sit by them? They're sitting there and they're like. <laughs> and when you're in first class, inevitably you have to stop there because everybody's loading up and, you know, doing the thing and the, and the steward is usually, you know, hurry up. Man. And, and they're looking at you. And so this is what I do every time I'm in first class, every time. I just smile all the time, the whole time, because I know what's going on. I'm a second-class citizen. I'm second-class, you know what I mean? Hey, you see this, you see this everywhere. It's on first class. It's the upper class, the middle class. Come on, how many middle classes we got in here? Now then the middle class, and now it's upper middle class, middle middle class, and lower middle class. And then lower class, you know, we got this, it's in our nation. That's the way people speak. And, and, and then, of course, on the ball team, there's first string and there's second string. I agree with that. Let me tell you something. If your kid can't play, they ought to sit on the bench their whole career. You hear me? Don't tell them they're good when they're not. Don't tell him he's a star when he ain't never hit the ball, can't catch a ball if it was this big. You know, just say, son, take violin. Just change, change some things. We need to quit telling our kids they're the greatest thing in everything when they're not very good at a lot of things, huh? I sat at the bench for two solid years, two years in the league, two years. I would iron my own suit. I was the only kid on the team had a crease down the center of his suit. And I would sit on that bench and had a crease. And when the game was over, I still had a crease. Two years, never crossed the white line. Not one time. I sat the bench in practice. You know what I got? My brother said, you ain't worth nothing. You ain't no good. He was pitching. He got most outstanding player on the team. He was outstanding. I was on sitting. Hey Amen. Let's move on with this subject here. Let me read you do what a second-class citizen is. It's a person belonging to a social or political group whose rights and opportunities are inferior to those of the dominant group in a society. That's what the world looks at. 
But this is what God looks at. He says, all who are called in the name of Jesus will be saved. He says, come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. He said, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to salvation. You know what else he said? All who believe in Jesus will be made right with God. And then in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. He healed all of them. Come on. It's all. It doesn't matter where you come from. Come on. It doesn't matter if you're broke or broken. The kingdom of God is wide open to all people. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter who you're married to. Doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have or you don't have. It doesn't matter if you're good looking or not so good looking. Come on now. You are welcome in the kingdom. You're welcome in the kingdom. And he'll take you from a mortal to a royal. That's what Jesus does. Aren't you glad? Because you know what? Let's get real. There ain't many mighty among us. There ain't many noble among us. Come on now. Everybody has value in the kingdom. And everybody has value in this church. It's an equal opportunity employer. Everybody has value. No matter where you come from, man, I'm telling you. Some of you have come from hard stuff. You hear me? Just come on in. Take your shoes off. Set a spell. It's going to be good. God's plan levels the playing field. God's plan also unites us with Christ. My God, can we get this today? Can we really get that we're united with Christ? It's hard for so many people to understand this because you're trying to just get it in your head, but we're united with Christ. 30th verse, God has united us. You know what that word united means? It means he's brought us into a relationship of rest. That's what that word means. To be in Christ means to be brought into a relationship of rest. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and he made us holy and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Man, to be brought into a relationship of rest and then to be made holy and pure and free from sin. That's what being in Christ means. You, you see, it's like in my backyard. I want you to throw up that picture for me because somebody in the church gave me a, a, a granite cross one day. And, and I thought, what am I going to do with this granite cross, you know? And so I decided to just, you know, put it in between the branches of a crepe myrtle in my backyard. It's right there by the patio. I get to look at the cross. The cross is in the, you know, the bush and it's night and it's right. It's nice. It's cool. But then, you know, after a period of time, it started growing and it grew more and more and more. Until now, I took this picture Friday. Look, it's, I can't get the cross out of the tree. The cross is in the tree. And this is how it is when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. He is in us. We are in him. And the further we go, the more embedded the cross is in our life until you can't tell it between us and the cross. Come on now. This is the way it is. That's why you, got to, you, you can't give up. You can't shut down. You can't stop moving forward no matter what. Because I've seen him move a mountain, and I think he'll do it again. Yeah, look, I'm ruined. 
Jesus wins. I know he's good and he's going to get the job done. And so I'm going to stick with Jesus. How about you? I'm going to keep the cross in the tree and the tree around the cross. Come on now. I just feel sorry for those people that buy our house after me and Jan are going to heaven. And they decide they want to cut down that old crepe myrtle that's been there long enough. They get their brand new chainsaw out. And next thing you know, they done sawed into a, the old rugged cross. <laughs> Understanding being united with Christ. I mean, really getting it, folks. Listen, let me just let the scriptures kind of teach us something. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of Christ, uh, Son of God, who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm in Christ and he's in me. My old man has been crucified. And then we read further on in Romans chapter 6. Well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. And Paul says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with him in baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Now, this thing of being in Christ, folks, listen, it, 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 it's hard to understand with just your mind because, because here we are in 2017, and if th today was the day where I gave myself to the Lord, where I truly committed my life to him, and I, and I became a believer today to follow Christ, what he's saying is that your old man is dead because you've been crucified in Christ 2,000 years ago. But wait a minute, uh, I'm still alive. Yeah, but it's not me that lives, but Christ lives in me. So the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. How can you understand such a marvelous thing that Christ would live inside of a believer? But that's what the Bible teaches, and that's exactly what happens. That means that every sin you've ever committed, Every wrong thought, every wrong action was crucified with Christ. He put to death the power of sin over people's lives. So now that I'm in Christ and I've been crucified, my old man is dead, my new man lives. If that blows your mind, it should. If that blows your mind, it should because you're not going to understand this just with your intellect. And that's why so many people are stumbling over Christ continually because they're trying to figure it out. And if it made sense, I would believe it. But you know what? It doesn't always make sense. Two plus two is not always four in the kingdom of God. And so we're in Christ. And when I believe and I'm saved, I enter in, I'm baptized into the body of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about in chapter 6 of Romans, being baptized into the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ I might be a hand, a finger, an, an eyelash, I'm not sure, an eyeball, maybe a mouth. I'm part of the body of Christ. This is so much bigger than local church service, folks. You know why we come together as believers? You know why you're here today? We are encouraging one another 
until Jesus comes back or we die and go to be with him. Did you hear that? We are encouraging you. If Christ died, we died with him. If he rose from the dead, we rise from the dead with him. This is what it's all about, folks. I'm encouraging you one more day for one more week to serve Jesus because there's a prize at the end of the race. That's what we're doing here. So God's plan is amazing. It makes us the righteousness of God when I'm in Christ Jesus. I love to say that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, I want you to say that with me right now. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, all you who didn't say it, let's say it again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Man, some of you are going, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're like a ventriloquist. Yeah. Let's say it again and believe. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the difference. In myself, there is no righteousness. The third truth that you want to know is that God's plan allows us to rely upon the Holy Spirit. To rely upon the Holy Spirit. My part is to rely. His part is to supply. We rely. He supplies. Second chapter, first verse. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you about God's secret plan. Although he could have because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He went up into the third heavens and saw things that he could not even come back down and talk about. You don't think that he could have not come to Corinth with persuasive words, powerful, deep things. But no, he said, you know what? For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Do you know why that's all he brought? Because that's the first thing that matters. Nothing, until you get that, nothing that. Seeking for a sign, seeking for this, want to get this, want to get that. No, no, Christ and him crucified, number one, above everything else. And then he goes on to say, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in the human wisdom, but in the power of God. There is so much right here. Paul said, I came to you in fear and trembling, I have weakness, I came to you, I, there was no strength in myself. I relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit and I used plain words. You know, you know we talk to a lot of people who visit may speak to some of you today who are guests in the house and or new people who come in or people who have come from different backgrounds. And one thing that we hear regularly at all three campuses, we hear this statement continually. I understood what you said. I understood what was said today. I can apply because I understood what I heard today. It's no good to speak flowery, deep, things way out there that no one understands. As a matter of fact, I've been in services before where the person speaking continually tells me I'm not hearing what they're saying. You know, you're not, you're not getting what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm saying. So you know what I do? I say, you're right. I'm out. If I can't, if I can't get what you're saying, then I'm out. 
When things get so deep that nobody understands them, they're useless. Jesus could have come down to this earth and spoke things, man, that <laughs> would have just made your little brain just disintegrate. He's God. But he didn't. He came, he said, there was a farmer who sowed some seed. And some birds came and ate some of it. There was a fig tree. There was a woman who lost a coin. There was a father who had a son. He came and brought eternal truths and put them in such a package that we could understand them. It allows us to, to, to help. You see, true leaders, true leaders point people towards Jesus. True leaders say, I don't have your answer, but I believe if you'll trust Jesus and you walk the thing out, I believe he's able to move a mountain. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he'll move a mountain for you. Sooner or later, you'll get the victory. Jesus, though, is the answer. Don't you ever think that you always have to have a man? Now, look, we, we, we believe in advice and we believe in help and we believe in wisdom and, and those things from each other and we need to keep that going. But sometimes you're on the road alone and you need a miracle from God and you need to see that Jesus is the answer. So to kind of work this out about relying on the Holy Spirit, can I just share three quick things with you then, then we'll be finished. Okay, you ready? I think relying on the Holy Spirit, it, it, it's just you have to walk in simple faith. I, I, I believe that, that it's been so complicated to, to walk in simple faith. A couple of weeks ago, I was at one of our campuses, and after I finished speaking, we, had, we had talked about faith, and, and a person came up to me, and this person was definitely in a, in a tense situation and, you know, watery eyes, and, and, uh, and when they, when, they, when they talked to me, I, you know, I, I just almost like knew what was going on. I don't, I don't just kind of knew and shared some things with them. But, but this was the question that was asked me. He said, is faith this simple? And I had to say, yes, it is this simple because the alternative to that is, no, it's very complicated. And so I can't tell people that it's very complicated to know God and to have faith. Life is complicated enough. I mean, Jesus comes, so he makes it simple. It's faith. He says, if you have faith like a mustard seed. He said, you know, if you'll become like a small child, you'll inherit the kingdom of God. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by word from God. Now, for you who are believers in this room and you've been walking with God for a while, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by word from God, the question I would like to ask you very simply is, how long has it been since you personally, as an individual, have received a word from the Lord? I mean, from the Lord to you, from his heart to your heart. How long has it been or has it ever been? Because if there's never a word from the Lord for your own heart, maybe you're not connected to him and the words I'm speaking are not complicated Jan and I we we read the one-year Bible or the one-year Bible reads us every morning it reads to us and uh, when we finish we always comment or we'll stop right there and say look right here you believe this right here 
And that's a word from the Lord, folks. I'm just going to tell you, it encourages you. It might correct you. I mean, sometimes Proverbs comes on there and I just turn it off at the end. We just <laughs> kind of look at each other and say, Proverbs. You know, we don't even have to say what was just spoken to us. It's like, got that. That's how you get a word from God. We're always wanting to get this earth-moving word or many, 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 many words. Simple faith. A word from God and then obey that. That's the second point. Obey simple truth. Why don't we just start embracing simple truth, folks? You say, well, Pastor Van, what is a simple truth? How about this? How about... Love your spouse. You see, we don't have to obey, sell everything you have and plant a church in Asia. Very, very few of you will ever be asked to do that by the Lord. Now, he may ask you to give faithfully so that somebody else can plant a church in Asia. But how about love your spouse? How about love and discipline your children? How about uh, be faithful and live a life of integrity? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. How about don't steal and don't lie? How about get out of ungodly relationships? Make the decision and move on. Simple truth. They're lying around in our life every day. They're all over. Simple truths to obey. And then live a simple life. Now, I'm not trying to get back into the 1800s and sit out on the front porch of a little cabin with a coal oil lantern. You know, that's not what we're seeking to do. And, and another thing, and I'm not going to teach you that you ought to get rid of a lot of your stuff. Because I don't believe that's really the situation. Or that you ought to stop doing activities. But this is what I have found. And it's taken me a long time to realize this. Because we used to say that you need to simplify but I realize that there's two types of people, or should I say two spectrums of people. There are those that have a lot of bandwidth. In other words, they're the people, you know, they got five kids. They, they got every kid in a different sport on the same night. They, you understand? They run a business. They serve in the church, tremendously active in the church. And, and their life, their marriage is solid and their finances are solid and they're moving forward. And you know what? They got great bandwidth. They're doing a great job. But then they've got this other spectrum of people who are like, I, Monday I'm going to go to Walmart, but then Tuesday I'm going to go to Walgreens. I can't go to Walmart and Walgreens on the same day. It's a little too much. You know what I mean? They can't seem to, and there's nothing wrong with that because God made us different. But what I'm saying is that when this type person tries to live this type life, then the things that really matter suffer. And I have found that the time given to those extracurricular things press out the time that should be given to the wife and the family and your God and your church. It's I see it. I've been pastoring 33 years. I see it. I'm an expert on that. If you've got just a little bandwidth, man, if you've got a pickup truck, don't try to put too much stuff in the back. You'd be like that guy going down the interstate highway. He pulled out the old trailer from the backyard. He puts a load of brick on there, and he gets down the road three miles, and the axle cracks in two. 
simplify life. So I'm not telling you what to get rid of or what not to do or what to do and all that. I'm just saying that know who you are and know how much weight your life can handle. And if you are totally chaotic and losing it, unload the truck. Unload your truck. Beep, 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 beep. Back it up and unload it. But unload the right things and keep the right things. A simple life. Some of you financially, you should learn to live below your means. Everyone should live below their means. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you should spend all of your money. And when you don't have a lot of money, you should not live like you do. You should always leave margin in your life. There should always be borders. Pastor Jordan shared with us Wednesday night that we need borders around every area of our life. That keeps life simple. Your decisions that you make, every one of them are going to cost you money, time, and energy. So you can have a big idea, but if you have a big pocketbook to go with it, you might ought to trim down that idea. And like rather than going, you know, to the mountains for six weeks on vacation, maybe have a picnic in the backyard with a bologna sandwich. <laughs> By the way, when your kids get old and they're adults, they'll remember the bologna sandwich longer than they'll remember the mountain trip. That I guarantee. That I guarantee. You know what? How about we live a simple life by being content? Satisfied first in Christ. First of all, saying, you know what, Jesus, you're enough. I'm hiding myself in you, and you are enough. You've never failed me, Lord. You're enough. If everything else crumbles, here we are. You're the engine that drives the train. On the train are all kinds of great things. There's people, relationships, great church, great job, family, house, all those things we need and we love. But you know what? Everything eventually falls off the train. I just want to make sure that the engine is still pulling me where I need to go. I'm staying on the train in my seat, buckled in, Jack. You hear me? No matter what happens, I'm staying in there and I'm going to live a life of contentment. The Bible teaches us that we ought to be content. Now, I'm going to say something that's hard for some of you because some of you are in just some bad situations, and I know that. But let me tell you something. If you're in a bad marriage, you need to be content in that marriage. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't. But I got a feeling that if you believe God and if you'll stick it out, God may never change the spouse, but God will change you. And you will be something that you never were before. We got to get off the kick that the only time things are good is when they feel good. Because God might be doing a real good deep work when things feel real, real bad. Contentment. Learning to be satisfied with the things we have first. If you're not satisfied with the house you have, why would you... Believe that God would bless you. If I'm not thankful and not content, how can you go to God? Think about it. I'm going to go to God with a discontented heart. God, I tell you what, I hate the place I'm living in. 
I'm asking you to bless me. Let me tell you what God did to me. I'm just going to share this. I've been, I've been mowing my lawn out here in Gulfport for 27 years. I have cut that yard in so many different ways. It's like, so you, when you pass by, if, you look, if I look like I'm a, a zombie pushing a mower, I am. But I'm going to tell you what happened to me many, many years ago when we lived in Gonzales because I hated to cut grass because as a kid, I had to cut an acre of grass with a 19-inch push mower. So that lets you know where I was with grass, St. Augustine in South Louisiana. Rains every day. And I used to hate it. I mean, I'd lie. I'd break the lawnmower so I wouldn't have to cut. I, just, I was a lie and a cheat. I mean, one time I, I took some oil, I splashed it all over me. I told daddy the motor blew up. That's a liar. I was just a liar. I just hated it. I hated it. I hated to cut grass. I hate it. I hate you, lawn. I hate you. And so one day I'm mowing my lawn after I'm married and I'm mowing my lawn and I got Saint, I planted St. Augustine grass. I'm a glutton for pain and I'm mowing, I'm mowing the lawn. We're, we're Christians now. We're believers and I'm mowing the lawn and I'm, I got a bad attitude. I mean, I'm mowing this lawn and the Lord spoke to me and he said, why are you cursing what I have blessed you with? I'm telling you as clear as I just said it. And from that day forward, and my wife is a witness to this, from that moment, I have never, ever said one negative thing about mowing that lawn. Am I right, Jan? Say, say he's right. Oh, I curse lawnmowers sometimes when they don't start, but that ain't got nothing to do with, the, with grass. I say nothing about loving lawnmowers, Jan. What the Lord was saying was, why aren't you content? I bless you and all you do is complain. Live a life of contentment. So you know what? No one in this room can impress God. He knows everything. No one can surprise God. You know, no one shakes God. He's not, he's not shaken like that. And, and you know what? Everybody in this room has value. Every one of you. If you think that you're not, you're thinking wrong. You're very valuable. And you know what else? All of us are invited into God's family. The door's wide open. The invitation has already been sent out. It's called the cross. It gives you free access to everything that the kingdom of God offers. This secret hidden kingdom. Our life is hid with Christ in God. And that's what Jesus offers you. That's what Jesus is offering every one of you in this place today. Some of you are believers. You've surrendered. You didn't do anything but surrender and believe. You didn't pay for it. It was free. We don't boast in that. Others of you are on the fringes wondering, is it worth it? I'll stand and testify and tell you it's worth it. 37 years, Jesus has been faithful every day. I have not always been faithful, but he has always been faithful. I believed him then, I can believe him now. And I'm gonna tell you, I stand and testify that if you will give God your heart, he will change your life and things will be better. Not only that, he'll give you a blessed life here and he gives you a place in eternity with him. Come on, let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. Just for a moment. The playing field is leveled and Jesus is calling. All you have to do is answer. If you're in this room right now, it's very, very simple. You simply need to surrender your heart to Jesus. I'm gonna pray with some of you in just a moment right where you are. No one is gonna make you do anything you don't wanna do. But this is what I am going to ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. 
and you're just going to say, I want Jesus. Maybe you've been with Christ before in your life, but you've, you, he's no longer, you kicked him out a long time ago. You want to invite him back in. Whatever it is, you know right now instantly whether or not you are in Christ or not. And if you're not, here's your opportunity. Right now, if that's you, say, Pastor Van, I want to pray. I want to believe God. I need Jesus in my life. Just shoot your hand straight up, just right where you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, yes, 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 all in different places. Thank you. Thank you over there. Yes, 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 two, three over there. Yes, thank you. Yes, sir, thank you. No need to be bold or no need to be, you know, brash or anything like that. No way, no place for pride. We all have failed God and we all need Jesus. Anybody else, if you hadn't raised your hand, just shoot it up. If you want to be part of this, say, Pastor, I just want to be part of it. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Three men. Yes, thank you. Right now, right where you are. As I pray, I want you to pray your first real prayer to God. Here it is. You're just going to believe with me. Pray your own prayer with me. I'm just helping you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from you, but I don't want it to be that way anymore. I'm asking you to save me right now. I'm asking you to give me a new life. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me, to give me a new start. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over my life from this day forward. I thank you, Lord God, for loving me and letting me come into your kingdom and be part of your family. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give it up for those who prayed. Come on, Pastor Jordan. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.